and you know, going back to you know what, what you're most proud of is that Playful organization that understood that the little things are huge things. They're big things. Sometimes they're the difference between winning and losing. Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, your host of the Beyond Speaking podcast. And today we have on with us Jim Palmer, who is a uh, multiple Cy Young Award winner, uh, World Series champion several times over, um, uh, experienced, uh, successful broadcaster, somebody who I've watched many times broadcasting great games and, and uh, somebody who's got some amazing personal stories as well. So, Jim, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, pleasure to be with you. Now, you've done so many things in your lifetime, um, and I know you've got your book, The Nine Innings of Success. And what, for you, defines success? Well, I mean, I think trying to uh, set goals and try to realize them. I mean, obviously, um, I started, uh, I signed with the Orioles when I was 17. Um, my first year was in Aberdeen, South Dakota, and my manager was Cal Ripken's dad, uh, Cal Ripken Sr., and, and, you know, this is um, 1964. You're living in the basement. Uh, after taxes, you're making about $414 a month. When it rains, the, the basement would flood $3 a day meal money. This is before credit cards and cell phones. And, you know, we I still remember the, the day of opening day in, in Aberdeen. Uh, and, you know, we had won 14 straight games in spring training. We had a really good ball club. And, we were playing Aberdeen was in the in Northern League, which was the highest A. Now those of all the A leagues, uh, you know, I think the Orioles at the time had Blood Stockton, and uh, you know they had Miami, and they had uh, Fox Cities, but you know, Aberdeen. So I, it's uh, you know, at age eighteen, I was playing, you know, you know, probably a league that I was a little bit over my head. But I remember, you know, Cal talked about the fact that we're going to come to the ballpark and never let anybody outwork us, and that we're going to come to the ballpark um, and try to get a little bit better every day. We're going to have a passion to do that. We're going to have fun, which he pointed out was, um, <laughs> you know, the fact that we're going to win. And, you know, we had done that 14 straight against uh, Earl Weaver's double A team, which Earl didn't like down in Thomasville, Georgia, out of spring training. So we knew we had a good ball club. And it's funny. I mean, he said, listen, you know, we're, we're going to root for each other. Even we all, you know, most of us wanted to go to double A, triple A, and eventually get to the major leagues. But I think the the thing, two things that I probably remember the most, I mean, you know, other than the workout, they can never let anybody outwork you, which is something that I tried to do the rest of my career. And even when I got into broadcasting, you want to be prepared, was the fact that he pointed at the empty stands because it's about nine o'clock in the morning. He said, you know, the only reason we're here is because of the people that come out to see us play. You know, it'd be kind of like being in any other kind of business. You know, everybody talks about, okay, you sell cars. What's your customer service like? You know, do you service the people? Uh, you know, I bought a Tesla. 31 days to get my car serviced out here. It doesn't make you very happy because what if you have something that doesn't allow you to, to drive the car? So, you know, what Cal said is the only reason we're playing is because of the people that come out and see us play. So all the things I talked about. And the other thing, and probably the most important thing, he said, there are no such things as shortcuts. You think back baseball, you know, if you go back to like the late 90s, into the 2000s, PEDs were prevalent. Um, you know, that's a shortcut. So a lot of the things that have happened in baseball, you know, the fact that, you know, when I got in the Hall of Fame, I talked about it. You know, the reason I tried to be as good as I was was because of the guys sitting behind me. They set these impeccably high standards, and you pay more for less. In other words, if you pitch six innings and you get paid more money than I ever made for pitching nine, it's less. The standards are going to go down. So these 
you know, I think it's amazing when you're 18 years old to have a guy like Calvin Sr. who wanted to play as a catcher in the major leagues, but he hurt his shoulder. So he got into management at age like 28 or 29. So here I am at 18. He's probably only 10, 12 years older than I am. And he's kind of giving us life lessons that you uh, never forget. Yeah, and that's one of those things I found so so fascinating in, in reading some of your book. Uh, you know, talking about the Oriole Way, and uh, and what that is, and those things that he taught you. How does that fill into? Uh, you know, we, I know you speak with to a lot of corporations, and and culture is such an important thing. And and your culture there with the Orioles was sustained success for so long. I mean, so many World Series appearances, and and pennants, and division chant titles, and and you know, you're I think maybe the only pitcher to pitch in in a World Series in three different decades, and and that team uh, excellence staying so long. Uh, how did that play into it? Well, I, and I think it's interesting if you're a baseball player. You know, I got to the Orioles in in, in 1965. We had a pretty good year. We won 94 games, but the Twins won 102. They went to the World Series, and we watched. Next year, we traded for Frank Robinson, who ended up being one of the great players of all time. Uh, passed away last January. You know, a couple of uh, MVPs, Triple Crown the first year, hit 49 home runs, two in the World Series. And, you know, he played the game extremely hard, but we only won three more games. So the Orioles were still a good ball club. But I think what what I found, you know, playing almost 20 years, that every, you know, you win the World Series in 66, you go to spring training in 1967, you're the defending world champion. Somebody wants to take your seat. You know, somebody wants to take your place. We saw it with the Red Sox. Red Sox won, what, 108 games, you know, Waltz, I mean, again, it's not easy to do, but, uh, you know, through the, uh, you know, the division series, championship series, beat the Dodgers in five games. So, you know, you figure, okay, well, this is one of the teams, uh, you know, for the ages. Well, they had started out 17 and two in 2018 this year. I don't know. It probably took them 30 some games to, to, to win 17 games. So they take away the wins. When I won 20 games, eight out of nine years, every year I go to spring training. Every year I start the season, I was 0-0. So I think what it does, and I think one of the things is, is that you're you're only it's kind of like owning a restaurant. You know, you're you have a great you know everybody comes in on Friday night. The food's great, the service is great, the ambiance is great. And then on Saturday, yeah, maybe the chef's having a bad night or a, a, a bad day, so to speak. And all of a sudden, that's the night the restaurant critic comes in. What do you think the review is going to look like? So I was always, I just think because. Yeah, you know, Brian, it was a kind of a thing. You know, when I got to the to, to the Orioles, I roomed with Robin Roberts. He was 38 years old. I was 19. He was on his way to Cooperstown. He already had 270 wins, and he was. And I write about this in, in in the book. Is that he mentored me? I mean, he was only there about two and a half months, but he wanted me to be as good as I could be. So I think you know a lot of the things that I learned in baseball. You know, whether it's from Cal or you know, you know, watching Brooks Robinson, the Hall of Famer, or Frank, you know, with his tremendous. Uh, uh, tenacity and uh, the way he played the game at a very high level was basically that you're, you're only as good as your next at bat or your next pitch or your next game. I think over a course, and you know, they talk about getting to the Hall of Fame. Not that I ever thought about that when I was 19 years old. You know, when I got to the big leagues, is I think basically you just realize it's um, it's a march. Uh, you know, it's it's a journey. It's it's not not always the the results that day, but it's how do you you know at the end of the season. You look back, game in April is as important as one in September, and how'd you do? And that's the way I kind of live my life. 
Who are some of you, the other mentors that you've had? I know you've mentioned a couple here, and uh, and you know whether it's players as well as coaches. Who are some of the people that that uh, mentored you, and and what are some more of the specifics that they taught you? Well, you know, Robin comes to mind because he was my roommate, and you know, back then they actually had roommates. Nowadays, you know, guys usually room by themselves. Um, I, I, you know, it's funny. George Bamberger was he was a terrific pitching coach. Um, my first year in a ball, Brian, I, I walked 130 and 129 innings. I mean, I was 11 and 11 and three, I, I, low ERA, but I mean, it was a roller coaster ride every game I pitched because I threw real hard. You know, I played basketball and football in high school. Um, you know, when it was baseball season, I played baseball. So I went to a college league when I got out of high school. I was the only high school player up in, in, in winter South Dakota. And, you know, I real sponsored the team. I ended up signing with them. And now here I am trying to, to pitch. And so again, it was kind of a, a period of adjustment. But, um, and George, you know, as the, the roving minor league pitching coach, uh, nowadays all minor league teams have actually have a pitching coach. We didn't have one. We had a guy named Bill Morton who had been probably in organized baseball eight or nine years. He was a catcher. He was kind of the pitching coach, uh, Calvin Senior, to some degree, because he was a former catcher before he hurt his shoulder. So, you know, you got a little bit of advice. And then you would see George and every, George would come through Aberdeen every five, six weeks. But I went to Instructional League and everything changed because I got to work with him every day. And he changed my windup, he changed my balance points, you know, taught me to throw the ball alone away as a right handed pitcher to a right handed hitter. And he said, if you can do that, um, you can, you know, pretty much have the perfect windup. And, you know, it's funny with all the analytics now, and you know, you know, they can give you all these zones where you need to pitch. If you don't have a good windup, and this is something George taught me right as I was about to turn 19 down in Clearwater, Florida, at instructional league. Hey, let's work on your windup. Uh, you might have a chance to be in the big leagues next year, which would have been 1965. As it turned out, I was. It's just that to me, it was kind of a, a you know something a guy that believed in me. Not only that, he, he he taught me what I needed to do. And then later on, when I tore my rotator cuff, I'd already pitched a, the, the shutout in the World Series. Uh, in 1967, I was 3-1, didn't pitch all in 1968 in the big leagues. And I went to instructional league, and George was down there. I gave up 10 runs and 14 hits. On a Monday, I was just going back to Baltimore. He said, just give it another month. Go down to Puerto Rico. And I said, come on, man. They have real players down there. I mean, I was playing against you know minor league guys in the instructional league. So I go down and, you know, I drive back to Baltimore. I'm going down on Thursday morning. I go to a basketball game. A friend of mine was a Lilly pharmaceutical guy. He said, you know, have you ever tried this anti-inflammatory? And so I take this little pill, Indocin, I-N-D-O-C-I-N. I take it on Thursday. I go down to Puerto Rico. Friday, I throw. And all of a sudden, I go from about 82 miles per hour to about 98. You know, George, was he saw me give up 10 runs and 14 hits on Monday. He had come down to scout with a, a scout from Baltimore. And he, 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 you know, there, Ruben Gomez was a pitcher who pitched for the Giants. He goes, you know, he needs to use his wrist more. And George says, don't listen to him. This is the best you've thrown since, you know, you pitched a shutout in the World Series. So here I was healthy. And it's interesting how when you, when somebody believes in you and then you establish, uh, you know, the trust factor where, okay, this guy's going to tell me the truth. We, we, I mean, George had, I don't know, five, five Cy Young Award winners, 12, 20 game winners. We would have run through the wall for him. But if he doesn't tell me to give it one more month to go to Puerto Rico, I retire. I'm selling life insurance or maybe I'm a coach at some high school or college or whatever. And uh, Jim Palmer doesn't. And Jim Palmer's still around, but he's not. He doesn't end up Jim Palmer that's in the Hall of Fame. Who are, who are some of the people that you have mentored? The, the, the mentoring process, I think, you know, when you're 19 years old and you 
you have somebody um, uh, like Robin Roberts, who not only is a great pitcher, but a terrific guy, a great athlete, um, and he mentors you, even though you, he probably knew that I was going to take a shot. I mean, when you're 38 years old, you're just trying to win 300 games as a kid. I think you were 286. Um, it's, it's very rare that somebody's going to go, you know, hey, you figure it out yourself, but this wasn't Robert. So um, I just, you know, kind of looked around and, you know, Dick Hall was a, a guy that, you know, had been a third baseman. He was one of the great lead pitchers for the Orioles. I think he walked nine guys in, in maybe 11, 11 seasons. You know, if, if, the, if the strike zone was a little thimble on the outside corner, they could hit it. You know, very athletic when I got to the ball. You know, as I, I, I uh, you know, used to run with him because a lot of guys ran on their own. But when I played for Cal Ripken Senior, we kind of ran as a team. So I'd pick somebody that, you know, was well-conditioned and whatever. But I think once you learn from a guy like Robin Roberts, when, you know, I mean, Dave McNally, Mike Quayer came over. Quayer came over from uh, Houston. Um, we, we would win 20 games one year, all three of us. The next year, we traded for Pat Dawson. We'd have four 20-game winners. So, but they were more of my contemporaries, actually a couple of years older than I was. So all I did was kind of learn from them. But the next wave of pitchers, whether it was Mike Flanagan, who would win the Cy Young Award in 1979, or Scotty McGregor, or Stone Davis, or Dennis Martinez, or Mike Boddicker, I just... In my memory bank, all I do is go back to when I was 19 years old and say, okay, Robin Roberts did that for me because he wanted the Orioles to be a good team. He wanted them to be a good business. He wanted them to you know, be in the pennant race. Why wouldn't I try to do everything I can to make these guys better? And it doesn't mean that I, that I didn't want to pitch as well as them or I wanted them to fail. I just wanted them to, you know, as, as I said, Mike had a Cy Young Award you know, the year in 1979, Steve Stone came over, won the Cy Young in 80, won 25 games. You know, Scotty McGregor was in a trade, 20-game winner, you know, 16, 18-game winner on a couple of occasions. So so I think what you did was you just made sure, and it's, it's not as much mentoring as actually communicating and being there for him. Uh, you know, in the book, in, in Nine Inches of Success, I, you know, I, one of my good friends, Dennis Eftersway, who's one of the great pitchers of all time, I, you know, he talks about uh, the home run that Kirk Gibson hit in 1988 uh, in the World Series game one, you know, two run home run could hardly walk and kind of changed the whole World Series, even though it was only the, the, the first win for the Dodgers. And of course, you have to win four games to win a World Series. But he talked about, again, you know, adversity. He taught him the lesson. And, you know, and next year he had, what, four saves in the, in, uh, when they won the World Series in 1989, uh, you know, the earthquake uh, World Series that I did with Al Michaels and Tim McCarver up in San Francisco. So, I think you learn from adversity, you know, the, the mentoring, again, it's the, the process of being there for people and, and talking and communicating. And, you know, you go down and watch their bullpens. You know, if, if you see them maybe not doing their conditioning, I mean, Scotty McGregor talks about the first spring training he came to the Orioles. He said, I didn't realize you had to come to spring training in shape. He said, because you ran us to death. And I said, well, I just wanted to get home and be with my girls and, you know, take them to the beach or do whatever we were going to do. So, you know, why linger? <laughs> so, you know, so again, it was just something. And then, you know, the other thing, Brian, is that I could have, I signed a year before the draft and I could have signed with a lot of ball clubs. And what a blessing to have signed with the Orioles. Uh, you know, I could have signed with Houston the next day, 10 clubs called. And, you know, for me to go through a career where I had a chance to play with the Brooks Robinson, it's not only the Hall of Famers. I mean, you know, Eddie Murray and Cal Ripken uh, Jr. And, you know, of course, Robin Roberts and Frank Robinson, but, you know, Paul Blair, who won eight gold clubs, and, uh, you know, Mark Landry, who played on the team I uh, when I came up in Aberdeen when we were both 18 years old, he won eight gold gloves. 
Luke Dolly, MVP in 70, second in 69. We had a lot of really good players that just understood, um, again, what, what Cal Sr. told us about trying to come to the ballpark and, you know, get a little bit better every day. And when you do those things, success happens. And in baseball, it's, it usually uh, it equates to win. What was the high point of your career? I think just the consistency. You know, the fact that um, I played on a team that uh, there's a guy that does our pregame and postgame, and he goes, you know, you were the only guy in all the six World Series for the Orioles. And I said, well, I certainly didn't do it by myself. I mean, that's, you know, it's funny when, you know, the three years I won the Cy Young Award, uh, yeah, I pitched well, but to win games, you know, you, you need guys to drive in runs and make the plays. And, you know, you do your part. You show up, you know, 37, 39 times, try to pitch complete games. You know, I had a manager in Earl Weaver that, that kind of pushed me. But I think, I mean, the best year I ever had was the year after I, you know, I won 20 games out of nine years. The one year I didn't was the year that I hurt my elbow. I had elbow nerve trapping. You know, that year was one of those 10 shutouts and 323 innings, you know, um, 25 complete games. But the interesting thing is Captain Schneider was almost as good. You know, he was, he'd been traded from, or actually, as a free agent, went to, went to the Yankees. So the, the, the great thing about playing in the era that I did is you had Gator, you know, and, and, and you had Steve Carlton who, in the National League who I had seen in A-ball up in Winnipeg, Canada, because he played with the Cardinals. You know, you had Ferguson Jenkins, you had Seaver, you had, uh, you know, Bob Gibson, one of the great right-handers ever. They said, again, I mean, these were the guys, even though you may not be pitching against them that night, they were the ones that were setting the standards. And, you know, you just try to live up to them. And I think the, the proudest thing is that I played on a team for almost 20 years the Orioles had had the best winning percentage in baseball over those years. And again, I, it wasn't all about me, but I tried to do my part. Now, uh, you've had uh, some pretty amazing bat boys as well. Who's the, who's the best bat boy you've ever had? Well, the funniest one is Roy Firestone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. He wrote the foreword in the book, and it, it's kind of interesting because he was rereading it, you know, and he was talking about how the Orioles, you know, tried to pursue perfection. And he said, it's unattainable, but in the pursuit can come excellence. Uh, a personal commitment to be the best, setting a plan, doing things the right way. And, you know, I, I would imagine when you look at playing baseball, I mean, you, you know, you sign at 17, you, you go play in Aberdeen. It's not like Cal Ripken Sr. said the first day, hey, we're going to win the uh, Northern Lake Pennant. But we've won 14 straight games. We win 25 out of the first 29, um, you know, in that league. And the Dodgers had a really good team. But I think that kind of set the tone for everything. And again, you know, the plan, I mean, baseball was pretty simple. You play the game, you know, are you better defensively? I mean, how do you take infield? I mean, just the simplest things that you learn in the minor leagues, you know, you don't, you know, Cal, you know, we talked about Cal said, there are no such things as shortcuts. He said, it's also, it's not practice. It's perfect practice. So again, these are just little habits. You know, if you're a, a, a starting pitcher, you, you throw between starts. Well, when you're young, you probably don't, get the most out of that as you do when you get older because you're, you're at least hopefully you're a little smarter and you realize and you know nowadays they just don't throw as many pitches even though instead of pitching every fourth day they pitch every fifth day but you know you really need to make those bullpen sessions count um, because uh, you know the, all the fielding practice uh, you know the um, pitchers fielding practice the, the PFPs that they do in spring training invariably if you watch a major league game or you follow a team somebody's going to forget to to, to um, after doing that for what five weeks in spring training, they're going to forget to cover first base. It's just it's it's human nature. So again, I think the longer you play, and the fact that and you know going back to you know what you're most proud of is that 
stifled organization that understood that the little things are huge things. They're big things. Sometimes they're the difference between winning and losing. So I'm a, a youth softball coach, so coach 12-year-old, 10, 11, 12-year-old girls in softball. What advice would you give to parents or maybe players at that age? Well, my, you know, my, my granddaughter, Maxine, is just starting softball down in, um, in, uh, in, down in Texas, uh, you know, trophy club, kind of by Arlington. So, you know, and then little Henry plays little league and, you know, so whatever, you know, that she had twins, a boy and girl. So, uh, but my, I remember Jamie, my, my oldest daughter, she's softball and I, you know, every off day one day and during the baseball season. So this is what, 19, probably 1978. And I go see the game and the coach, <laughs> the coach decided if nobody swings, everybody can walk and they can win. So I waited for the game to be over, but nobody's having any fun. I mean, they're not swinging the bat. I mean, I, you know, I used to, I used to throw them, you know, wiffle balls and, you know, I used to put a hanging, uh, uh, wiffle ball on a string on my garage door and let them, you know, hit the moving target and all that because I wanted them just to feel like when they did it, they could be relaxed and, you know, be comfortable and whatever. So I, the, the biggest advice is number one, go out and have a good time, but you need help to have that. So I talked to the coach and I said, this is not about winning. This is about actually having a good time and letting them play. If they strike out, fine you know what, maybe they'll work a little bit harder and they'll, you know, they'll do a little bit more work and they'll get more comfortable and you know, less pressure and so on and so on. But if you just stand up there and let the other pitcher walk you, only buddy winning is you. And that's not why kids should be playing the game. So I would just tell them, have a good time, you know, fresh air. You get to play with, you know, your peers, uh, you know, you get to win and you get to lose. Um, you know, I, we used to have a little league guy in Beverly Hills, uh, Timmy Gunning, if I didn't bunt, he would have struck out all 18 of us, you know, six inning games. And I bunted. So, you know, you're always going to meet somebody who's a little bit better than you. And then you look around just like you do in the major leagues. You say, okay, hey, what are they doing that I need to do? But I think that the, the most thing for kids is just get them out of the house, let them get some exercise, tell them to have a good time, and, and really sometimes starts with the coaches. So one of the other things, too, I find fascinating about you, I have I have two of my kids were adopted, and, and you were adopted as well. Can you tell me a little bit about that journey and, and what it's meant to you? I mean, it, the, the journey ends up, uh, you know, two years ago, my wife actually traced my um, biological parents who had immigrated from, from uh, Ireland uh, back probably in the 20s. And, um, uh, you know, uh, Joe Guerin and uh, Marianne Maroney, you know, they must have had an affair or whatever. I was born in 1945, and I was adopted. My 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 my, my mom and my dad. Uh, you know, my dad had owned a couple of dress companies. He was Jewish. My mom had come from. Uh, she was Catholic. She had come from to you know to put her youngest brother through Juilliard School of Music. She met my dad. They adopted my sister, and then they adopted me. But I never really knew I was adopted. I think until maybe I was seven or eight years old. Uh, my mom's mom, uh, you know, lived with us. We had moved from, uh, you know, New York City out to, you know, Harrison, uh, Rye. And I walk, I just remember walking down one Saturday morning. She said, you know, you're adopted. But it had no meaning for me because uh, years later, I'd be on the Sally Jesse Raphael show with Dave Thomas, who started Wendy's. And he, you know, adopted his daughter. Uh, Faith Daniels had, had been adopted. I mean, he, uh, Dave Thomas was adopted. Um, Roger Grimsey, who was an ABC correspondent, um, he was a pretty gruff guy. But what I learned on that show, and it's not something because, again, I mean, I had the perfect uh, childhood. I had parents that loved me. They taught me the importance of uh, education. 
they never cared whether I was their biological child or not. But what I learned on that uh, program is you don't have to be a biological parent to raise somebody and love them and care for them and do all the work. I mean, raising kids is, is a difficult job. But again, there's so many kids, um, you know, out there that, you know, I, I, I think there's what, about 135,000 kids are adopted every year in the United States. And there's probably another 107 or so thousand, you know, in foster homes waiting to be adopted. But so, I mean, the best thing that ever happened to me, Brian, and, um, you know, and you should never know. I mean, my parents, you know, they didn't adopt a, you know, a future Hall of Fame pitcher. They adopted somebody that we're going to love and they were going to nurture and they were going to take care of what, you know. And um, I lucked out. I mean, I was really fortunate to be adopted by parents that cared that much. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's one of those special things. Um, what do you share about when you go to speak? I know, um, I know I'd, I'd heard that you're, you speak a lot at uh, adoption events. What are some of the things that you share with the people that attend those? Well, I learned this in baseball, but, I, you know, I learned it. I mean, look at, look at my parents. What a difference they made in my life or my sister's life. You know, what a difference with your two children you're going to make in their lives. Um, you know, adopting kids is changing kids' lives as long as you, you know, you have to. But I think you have to understand. It's kind of like being a baseball player. You know, it's funny now everybody's saying, yeah, you know, you know, we're going to, we can tell now, you know, we can see what the guy's swing is like and how fast he throws over the pitcher. And, but what kind of character you have, you know, what kind of, you know, Buck Walter, you know, who was a terrific manager and what manager of the year three times. 94, I think, uh, you know, and then in 2005 and then for the Orioles in 2014, he talks about, you know, he always takes it when he looks at players because he's been through the game so much. And he talks about competitive sincerity or will he be a positive peer pleaser? Is he, or, or is he a sympathetic ear to, to less positive things that go on in the locker room? So, you know, I think, again, you know, parenting, the different kinds of parents, but I lucked out and I always tell people, you know, it's a commitment, but what a difference you can make in people's lives. Um, I mean, how much do you, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, you know, I have a, a stepson with autism. I, you know, I mean, I was a, you know, kind of a, when I, my second marriage, I, I helped raise, uh, you know, my wife's a son, um, their challenges, but their joys. So, uh, it, it, you just encourage people to, to, to go out there, but to understand what they're getting into, you know, what the parameters are, how you do it, all those kind of things. And then, I just think, you know, I go back a lot of times. What if I hadn't lucked out and had parents that, you know, gave me the opportunity to play sports and tell me how important education was and being polite and, uh, you know, work ethic. Uh, you know, my stepfather, Max Palmer, used to, <laughs> I used to mow the yard and, you know, I got good grades and I, you know, I cleaned the pool when we lived in Arizona. And, and he, he said he comes around the corner and it's raining and I'm out there with an umbrella. And he goes, not many people would do that. But for doing that, Brian, if I needed to go to the movies, um, I, I could get $5 or whatever. I, I didn't have a set allowance. I helped my mother clean the house. It got it down to about an hour and 15 minutes on Saturday doing the windows and dusting and vacuuming and whatever. So, you know, again, I, I mean, I just, I, I just think when you get to adopt somebody, you get to change somebody's life. And, um, and, you know, and obviously having children changes yours, but what an opportunity. And, you know, and, and having raised, you know, raised, you know, my oldest daughter's now in her fifties and, you know, my oldest daughter just turned 50. So I, I, I know the difficulties of raising my girls, you know, and, and the son with autism, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. All right. So last question here, your book is, uh, you know, the, the nine innings of success. Uh, if you were to go back to the first inning and change anything, what would it be? 
Well, you know, I mean, I learned, you know, we talked about Dennis Eckersley throwing the big home run. I mean, I, I kind of went through some times where I thought my career was over. And I mentioned when I tore my rotator cuff, uh, you know, I was, I was the last guy to beat Sandy Koufax for about two years in the minor leagues. And it was pretty frustrating, but, um, I just think, you know, and, and I played for Earl Weaver who ended up in the hall of fame and he never shook your hand and he was very demanding. You know, we had one of those love relate, you know, love hate relationships, but he trusted me enough to give me the ball every four days. And I had to earn that trust. So it was kind of a reciprocal relationship there, but I just think I'm, I, and you know, and I, you know, I think I was really good, um, you know, in, with, with mentoring, especially pitchers and, you know, again, when you play on good teams, you know, you, you know, we used to sit in the corner with two or three pitchers and a couple of outfielders and, and, and discuss baseball. Um, I just think I might, would have been a little more aware, you know, you know, sometimes, um, I mean, I, I, I've learned you can't judge people by your own standards, but I sometimes did, um, because, you know, again, you wanted to win and you wanted, you wanted other people to, Again, going back to what Cal Ripken Sr. told me when I was 18 in Aberdeen, South Dakota, have the same passion for getting better and, you know, preparing to, to play, you know, whether it's your work in the outfield or whatever. Um, I just think I would have been a little bit more um, forgiving or more aware. I don't know how you really phrase it. Um, uh, you know, and again, other than that, I mean, I just really had a good career. I played for the same team, you know, played for what uh, three managers, you know, Hank Bauer and then Earl Weaver for about 13, 14 years. Um, but other than that, I, I, I'm kind of happy the way my career went, you know, broadcasting, you know, you, we talked earlier about broadcasting, you know, the interesting thing about all the things I did, whether it was working for ABC with, you know, working with Kirk Gabby Jr. And Terry Jastros, Bill Webb and people like that. And, uh, Chet Forty guys that won Emmys, Chuck Howard and, you know, Dennis Lewin, all these guys were Emmy Award winners. Um, everything I did, and, you know, working for Jockey, where I, you know, worked for them for 19 years, kind of paid for my kids to go to college. They were all team events. You know, everything I did in high school, whether it was, you know, being an all-state end, I, you know, yeah, I caught 60-some passes or, you know, led the state in scoring in basketball. But, again, you played on a team. And I think the one thing is um, it makes it more rewarding when you can share your successes with other people. So, uh, you know, again, I'm very fortunate that all the things I've done, whether it's broadcasting or, uh, you know, you know, working for the money store or jockey or all those kind of things, you know, you, you had relationships with people, you, you know, you, you show up on time, you, um, you know, you, you have a certain passion or exuberance to do what they want to do. Uh, and you just kind of live your life that way. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more about today's guest, visit beyondspeak.com. This episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was me, Eric Woody. Brian Lord was your host and executive producer. Shout out to special consultant Lauren D of D and Associates and Robert Borquez for that sweet, sweet intro. If you've listened this far, do me a favor and justify my existence and salary by checking out another episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast.